why should it be a sad event, right? We should be celebrating their life, not commiserating their death. And so with my grandma, that's what I wanted to do. And I kind of wanted to do something similar with my dad. Where I was like, why don't we put music on? Mum was like, no, 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 right. It's not a party, this thing. I want you to challenge. That's what I'm asking for. That makes me happy to be challenged, either to confirm my view or to challenge it. I, I have that awareness that if I do a good job with influencing you in my argument, then a crack will appear in, in your thinking and you'll, you'll embrace that. With other people, then they're not entering that conversation to enlighten themselves. They're entering it to just create a barrier and prove me wrong. Welcome to the Mindful Paths podcast with Nick Bay and Harry Kalimnios, where we explore the fascinating world of mindset, mindfulness, fitness, well-being, vitality, leadership, and of course, personal development. Our goal is to provide you with insights to help you live a more fulfilling, happier and healthier life. So if you're striving to be a better parent, friend, leader, colleague or boss, or if you simply want to be more mindful and aware of the world around you, then this Mindful Past podcast is going to be for you. We invite you to eavesdrop on our conversations and we challenge you to discover a new insight to help you on your own journey towards personal growth and positive change. So sit back, relax and let's begin our journey together on the Mindful Past podcast. Harry, how are we doing, buddy? Good to see you. Yeah, good day, Nick. Um, yeah, I'm doing well. Um, I had a nice day, actually, at school, um, about an hour's drive from here. Nice nice kids, very nervous, um, but really engaged and gave me some things to think about as well, maybe which we'll talk about um, today a little bit, but um, generally quite good. How about you? Yeah, no, listen, it's good to hear you've had a good day. This is our, for those that are joining us on video or even on audio, hopefully it sounds a little bit better. We're moving up in the world, in the world of uh, studio podcasting. So we've created, we've got a new software we're using today, trialing for the first time. So um, if you hear me clicking away, it's me trying to work out how to get the best out of this uh, this new posh software we're utilizing, but to help our listeners get better audio, better video. And uh, for me, it's a gadget to play with. So I'm excited to play around with this tool today um, using our listeners as guinea pigs. Uh, but I'm keen to find out how, you know, you've been through a uh, funeral since we last met. I know the last episode, talks about eulogy, celebrating life. I really enjoyed the conversation. We segued into stone tape therapy in all kinds of uh, different directions. Who knows where today will go? Uh, but yeah, how, how was that, buddy? How'd it go? It was, i tell you what, it was, it was weird. I mean, like the church, uh, they had about like 200 people, which is quite, yeah, 150, 200 people. Um, quite a few of my friends were there, which was nice. Um, my sisters and I all did a, a eulogy. Uh, we all got through it. Um, it was all well received. Um, I, I, interestingly enough, I didn't, um, I don't think I cried. Um, but um, I felt like the way for me to get through it, especially because my eulogy, my sister's eulogies were both about a minute long and mine was about five minutes long. And I was telling three stories and well, three areas of my dad's life and a few stories within that. So it was quite long. So I had to make sure I held it together. And I did up until like maybe the last line where I kind of wobbled a little bit. But for me to get through it, I was, and I was saying to people afterwards, because they were saying, I, I don't know how you guys did that and how you got up there and did it for so long. And, and I was like, I think I was playing it like a movie. And I was, and I still feel like, I think I mentioned it before, I feel like I'm in a character in a movie at the moment. I still feel that way because I'm kind of just getting on with things. I mean, obviously my life is a little bit different now because like, say for example, my mum is in the next yeah. room and she's staying with me at the moment and there's all of that stuff going on so it's not exactly like it was before but it 
I still feel like I, I was in a bit of a movie. So it was quite an intense day, but it was nice. It was really cold, but really sunny. Um, a few people came to the burial and then there was maybe like 60, 70 people at the house. And full house. Again, I thought That's I'd be... That's a lot. Uh, yeah, pretty full house, yeah. And, you know, I, I had a couple of little glasses of wine, but I thought I was going to, like, toast him with some whiskey and things. I just forgot and got, didn't get around to it. Um, I was actually all right on the Friday. My sister was saying how she was actually physically ill, like <clears throat> fatigue, exhaustion, maybe even sick, um, just from the emotion of it all. Um, but I generally... You know, it felt okay. And I think, like I say, part of it all comes down to, I feel that he had a nice, happy life. He, he, he died in, a, in as good a way as you could. I didn't have any regrets with my father and our relationship. I think it will hit me. I think I'm still in shock denial. So I don't think I'm in that stage where it's hitting me properly. Yeah. Um, it will be. But, you know, otherwise, okay. And then, um, yeah, just got on with the weekend and, and today. Um, but actually, we had some tragic news oh, no. <laughs> yesterday oh, as okay. well. Um, so my, my, uh, my sister, um, her mother-in-law, who I think we told had leukemia, she passed on Sunday. Um, so exactly four, exactly four weeks after my dad. Um, I don't think they've told my niece yet because my brother-in-law is still in Cornwall and I don't think my sister wants to be the one to tell it, her. And we're not sure how she's going to take it because now she's lost two grandparents in the space of a month, um, which is tough. Um, even though she knew that the other grandmother was unwell and then obviously dad was a shock and then she lost her other grandfather six years ago so you know she's she's only got one grandparent left now um so yeah so not not great i mean obviously we knew it was coming she was um basically on no water and no food for like last few days she wasn't able to do anything and luckily her three children were there and uh, one, of the, one of the children that came over from australia flew over from australia uh, to be with her um and hopefully she's more at peace but yeah so yeah well uh, when, <laughs> i was going to say something then which would have sounded really inappropriate but um it depends how superstitious you are so sometimes these things come in threes um i don't know if you're a, if you're a three person but my my mum's ingrained that every time i have bad news she always goes oh no i'm really worried for you because there's going to be something else that happens too um but how we how are you coping? Because that's that's a lot to take on. Emotions, you know, you already said, you know, I didn't cry. So that is there any, I don't know if there's any guilt or association there, but there's obviously a question. Sometimes these situations can bring out anger. They can bring out sadness, remorse, uh, frustration, stress. I think I'm going to embrace those later. I, I, I was having a pang of guilt as I was opening the front door because I was thinking this very thought. I was thinking, you know, my dad has gone, right? And why... You know, maybe I should be more in pieces. And I am to some degree, but I think I'm really going to notice it at those times that I really need need him, right? In the everyday, everyday, I'm kind of getting on with things, which is the way the way to do it. We've got a lot of admin type stuff to do. I've still got my work and job to do. Um, but I was coming out of the car and I was thinking, you know, I was feeling a bit guilt there. I was like, oh, maybe the guilt is now coming in because I'm like, now I'm guilty for... So I'm not guilty for the relationship we have, but maybe I'm guilty for not feeling the way I should yeah, be feeling. Yeah, I think that's the right? common one. That's um, the common one, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I'm just going to look. I'm, I'm just going to try and ride it out. I think um, I uh, I notice p 
points of frustration. Like like yesterday, I was getting really frustrated with my printer, for example, in a way that I wouldn't normally have done. And and it was only when I took a step back and I realized why it wasn't working. That's because uh, my router got updated and it's a wireless route, blah, blah, blah. And I had to just reconfigure it. And, I, and once I got that, but I, at one point I was like, because the printer's been playing up for months and I need to get a new one. I was, you know, always wanted to throw it. And then the other day I was trying to take my coat off and it was getting stuck on my watch. And I haven't done think, something like this before where I got frustrated and I just like just ripped it off. And I haven't done that really much. I haven't lost it in that way since I started meditating like 12 years ago. There's a few times. And that's when I'm like going for that, those periods of stress. So I was noticing that in myself, right? Again, coming back to this awareness piece, I was going, ah, oh, this I did, this I did, this I did. This is not usual behavior for me. Yeah. And this is the, the, the stuff coming into the fore, you know? I think it's quite interesting, right? And you, know, you bringing up those emotions and how you've been feeling frustration, <laughs> you know, it humanizes you. There must be people listen to this and go, you know, he's, this is a guy we listen to, you know, every couple of weeks who has optimized every area of his life. You know, surely, surely Harry never, never feels frustration or stress or any of these emotions. But the reality is, it doesn't matter how much you optimize certain things, right? We're all human at the end of it. And I, I bring this up because. You know, with my dad's situation at the moment, and he's he's been back in hospital the last few days. The cancer spread now into kidneys and lung and liver. So, yeah, it's been it's been quite um, emotional, and we you know we're trying to get back and make sure we're spending as much time with him as possible, and hoping that you know he continues to fight and continues to go on. And going back to the story with my grandma, which I shared, I think, in one of our earlier episodes, where she was diagnosed with a brain tumor and given weeks to live, and then one day was violently sick on holiday when a fa family had taken him away to recover and came back and there was no trace of the brain tumor. I, I'm still living in that, that weird place of hope of going, you know what? I don't know how long he'll keep going, but he knows what could happen, right? We, we can't predict the future. That's one thing that, that, that's true. But we got into a conversation with a friend of mine about funerals. And it was interesting because you and I do this show and the friend listens, so it's, which is great. So hopefully he's probably listening to this now. And we ended up in a bit of a, a debate. Oh, that debate's unfair. A, 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 um, we ended up talking, but it was interesting because their perspective was because you and I do this show and we're you know deep into the world of mindfulness and awareness and, and trying to look at the positive side of things, that surely a, a, a funeral isn't something that I would necessarily want because they're all really depressing and they, they emphasize sadness and that's not how you want your people to feel. So I should probably want to do something else. It was interesting because it triggered me because, and it was only because he used the word should, to be fair, you know, you should, you should do something else. And I was like, well, hold on. And as soon as he said the word should, I was like, well, actually, maybe now I definitely do want to do all the things you said, because I just, inst and I was like, God, I've got to be aware of my own sense of, of place here, because in one word coming from a good place, which was, you know, actually confirming that they'd listened to the things, the show, and, and we'd want to try to do different things. And that one word triggered me. And um, I think you saying there, you're feeling frustrated and stressed, right? It's we're human at the end of the day, and we're dealing with raw emotions about loved ones, um, and it's okay. Yeah, and it's all, I guess it, that, that, the idea of should, where it's like, oh, I should be feeling this emotion, or I should be feeling guilt. And actually, I, I was speaking to a few of my friends whose fathers have passed, actually, unfortunately. Uh, one was uh, the um, the kind of event that we did at the house afterwards, and I was asking him about, you know, did you have – because we were talking about your friend, right? You know, the one that had the six months later stuff going on. Um, and I was mentioning that to him because I was saying, like, I, you know, I, I had obviously 
a heavy moment at the beginning. Um, it's kind of tailed off a bit. And he was saying, well, and now he's someone also who is deep into various practices, right? Black belt martial artist, yoga, um, breath work, Deepak Chopra stuff, meditation, all of that. Um, you know, takes his kids to, is it Steiner schools, right? All, all this sort of stuff. So he's into all this stuff. And, and he was like, no, I never had like that kind of like massive, like breakdown release or whatever. I just had this kind of tapering effect. Uh, it's been like six years for him. So who knows, maybe there's something in the future that will happen. Um, and I think we go, we go through it all, all differently, but yeah, I guess this idea of like, you should feel like this is interesting. When my grand passed, I actually did want to make it more of a celebration. I do feel like, why should it be a sad event, right? We should be celebrating their life, not commiserating their death. And so with my grandma, that's what I wanted to do. Uh, and I kind of wanted to do something similar with my dad. Where I was like, why don't we put music on? Why don't we do My mum was like, no, 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 right? It's not a party, this thing, right? Um, so everyone, I mean, there's no rules to any of this, right? I don't think. Like, I think in certain cultures, they celebrate it a lot more, right? Um, they celebrate the dead, like Day of the Dead in Mexico and all that. They they celebrate it in a different way. Um, so I don't think there's a right or wrong, um, but it is interesting what you talk about where you're told what you should do. And then most people don't like being told what they should do. I often say that with my students when we're talking about feedback, when you're giving feedback to someone, rather than telling them you should stand up straight, you sh must project your voice, you have to do this. Most people don't like being told that. And, and maybe the invitation is, you know, you could do this, you might like to try this. and. It reminds me of um, a friend of mine who was talking about her mum, who was very good at getting them, getting the kids to do things. And she never actually asked them to do things, I don't think. And the idea was she was always asking questions. It was always in a question kind of way. Yeah, exactly. And, and, it, and it really strikes me because I have always thought, of, I've often thought about that in the last you know, decade or so, because I'm not naturally inclined to do that. But I often do. I go, oh, yeah, have you considered it this way? Or what would happen if you did this? Or And it's it kind of works sometimes. It doesn't all the time. But um, it's ultimately, it's about influence, right? It's like, how can you influence that person to do the thing you want to do? Because you can't control them. They can only control themselves. So you have to kind of put things in place that are going to influence them to do what you feel is best. A few things to unpick in what you just said there. And the first bit I quite like was the fact that you immediately have gone to other people who have been through a similar thing. And it's interesting how as, you know, the human the human nature side of us falls back on and goes back to your book, that social element, but also that that tribal element as well, where we want to be around other people that have been through similar things. It makes us feel more at ease. It makes us feel more like we're part of that kind of community um, and we can suffer together and, and celebrate together kind of thing. And that, that kind of gives us more more solace in a lot of instances. So I think that's quite, that's the first thing I think I would do as well when I get to that situation. You'll probably be the first person I call because you've just gone through it and I'm going to be going through it at some point, right? So I thought that was quite interesting. I think linking it to the should thing, I get equally triggered by people saying I should not. And that's exactly the same concept here. It's just being told what to do. But I think um, you were talking about dealing with the kids there, about sitting up straight. And I, there's a concept in coaching where rather than having a, a goal we tend to create goals for ourselves, New Year's resolutions, whatever. I want to achieve X, Y, or Z. But there's a concept which says a goal is something to come from, not to go to. So in that instance, whether it's sitting up straight, you could start with a goal to come from, which is, you know, um, and I know that you 
value security and health and vitality, things like that. I said, well, you know, in 10, 10 years time, um, how would you like to present yourself as, oh no, let's go further. How would you like to present yourself as a pensioner? Would you like to be someone who is arched with their back, who's unable to stand up or, or, or what would you rather be able to stand proudly and, and, you know, have the vitality that you want to not? And then you work it back and eventually you can, you let the student come back to the idea that it all started when they started to slouch, slouch in their chair at school. Um, and it's that realization of, not, you know, they don't always understand. They stand up straight now because they're being told to, not because they believe in the reasons behind why you're asking them to do that thing. But when they're able to establish that for themselves, it changes the whole view, becomes panoramic. It's like, okay, actually, I'm, I'm going to sit up straight for me, not for you, my teacher, but because I don't want to be that thing that you've just highlighted could become that thing if I don't address it now. And there's no should in there because you're coming up with the answers as a student. And I thought I like that way of thinking. It's starting with the it's starting with the end in mind, right. right? And it's 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 often what I think about. But also, to be clear, I'm not actually ever telling them to sit up straight or do anything. I use that as the example when I'm explaining why maybe they want to use different language rather than should or could. But often when I'm thinking about choices that I'm making, I think we've talked about this before, I'm often thinking about my future self, my yeah. self in five minutes or ten minutes. But actually, massively classic mistake that happened yesterday. Uh, this is where I knew what was likely to happen i ignored my future self anyway and i regretted it this morning so you know what i'm you know i, I do like chocolate as i've explained on the show before um but i i'm usually reasonably strict with it in terms of when i have it and stuff so yesterday i bought i was in waitrose i think and i i found this a chocolate bar which i really like with the an on bar and then some biscuits and i thought i was going to go back early enough to do some dinner and everything and maybe have a little bit of chocolate with my mom because I wanted to get, give her a treat. But by the time she got back and by the time I sorted things out, it was quite late. And then I ate the chocolate knowing that it was past my curfew for chocolate, which is usually five o'clock because anything after five o'clock, I know, although I don't tend to have too much trouble getting to sleep, I know my sleep will not have as much deep yeah. sleep when I have chocolate. And so I ate the chocolate anyway. And then I went on and ate some chocolate biscuits afterwards because I thought, well, why not? Right? I don't want to have it during the week. So I might as well get rid of it on Sunday. And yeah, I, str I struggled. Right? And I looked at my aura ring today as well because I woke up and I was tired. Even though I went to bed at 10.30, I got up at 6. And I knew that I'd been in bed long enough, but I didn't have enough sleep. And I looked and my deep sleep was like maybe 45 minutes instead of the usual hour 20, hour 30. And so... Tonight, today on the way back from work, I had, had a long day and I was thinking, oh, I really quite like to treat myself with a chocolate. And I was like, no, I'm not having another morning like I had this morning tomorrow. I can't, can't be doing this. And so even though I knew that, that it was going to be bad for my sleep, I still did it anyway. Um, but I, had, I took that as a risk. I took that as a risk knowing. Well, I, 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 I think it's a good example. Two things. I know you're a big Tony Robbins fan, but he always advocates for taking ownership of things, right? So he would say he shouldn't say. I'm, I'm speaking for him here. I don't know if he's ever said this, but I imagine Tony Robbins would say, you know, should would should isn't a good a good word to use because it lacks empowerment, it lacks assertiveness. So tonight you're probably going to say, I will or I must not have chocolate or I will go to bed without chocolate, and that's way more empowering and assertive than I should not do it because that kind of leaves some ambiguity. And actually should also, if I'm saying it to you, it kind of implies obligation or duty, right? So it's then not a choice or a desire. So yesterday, there was no should involved. You made the the choice 
fully aware of the actions that are there. There was no, I should not do this. It was an act, actually, going back to Tony Robbins, it was an empowered choice to do it. Um, and you you took on the ramifications of, of that action as a result later on. And today, you might move forward and go, well, as a result of that, I will go to bed without chocolate tonight. And that's fine. But I think should should that word should is where we find guilt. It's where we find pressure. It's where all those kind of bad connotations and words start to come into our psyche. So if I say you should feel this way because you've done that, actually, well, why should I be creating that sense of guilt in you? Who am I to even make that assumption on you? You may have made that proactive decision, which you did. You know what? I'm going to eat chocolate. It's well I am. I need that distraction. I need that endorphin. Whatever it is that you, you made that decision for. And today you have a Tony Robbins empowered decision to say, I will not do it tonight because I must get better sleep. And I think that's just way more powerful all in. Yeah, I mean, I don't even say I must not do it. I think um, what I do, again, is to t take that out of the head altogether. So I said, like, if I feel the desire for something sweet later, um, and I have a backup, which is my uh, mushroom hot chocolate. So it's a Rishi mushroom hot chocolate. <clears throat> and that basically just takes the edge off that, that desire for something chocolate, but it doesn't really affect, affect my sleep or anything like that, which is good or not in a negative way. Um, I was actually listening to Tony Robbins in the car on the way home. He was being interviewed by... Uh, Tucker Carlson, I think, and um, but he was talking about Warren Buffett. So Warren Buffett, for those not listening, I guess he's known as the sage of Omaha. He's like the, um, he's really good with stocks. He's now in his 90s. He's worth over 100 billion. Most of that net worth came after the age of 65, incidentally enough. But, and I, he was talking about this example, and I was, I often talk about this to my students when we do the public speaking, because um, Warren Buffett went to like this prestigious university, like I think it was Wharton Business School. And I remember an interviewer asking him once, why have you not got the, the Wharton Business School diploma on your desk behind you? A bit like I've got my yeah. one from my university here. And he had, instead, he had the certificate of attendance that he got from the Dale Carnegie School of Public Speaking. And he said, I've got that because actually that's brought me more money and more wealth than any of the other things that I've ever done. Um, and Tony Robbins was talking about this exact example. So I was like, oh my God, I'm always talking about this to, to my students because being able to communicate his ideas, being able to enroll people into his business, into his ventures was way more important than getting that piece of paper at Wharton Business School. Um, and so I, I was thinking about Dale Carnegie the other day. Um, as you know, I think I gave How to Win Friends and Influence People for Teenage Girls to my yeah. niece. But I was thinking about that a particular part of that book in the funeral. So we were talking off air a little bit about the funeral and I was saying how going into it, I was a little bit apprehensive because sometimes you're not just for the obvious reasons, but also you're interacting with lots of people that you haven't maybe seen or met for a long time. And I, you know, family members, whatever. And sometimes because I've got a very different way of thinking about things than maybe my more traditional outlook relatives. Um, I was conscious of the fact that I didn't want to engage, and I was thinking of Dale Carnegie, the best way of getting the best of an argument is not to have it at all. Yeah. And so I went in there very conscious thinking, I, I can't, I should probably not, right? This is me telling myself I should not, and uh, spend so much time with these people because otherwise inevitably what happens is it gets onto a conversation about something to do with my lifestyle. I don't- It comes off and goes point scoring, doesn't it? It goes to point scoring. Well. It's just because food is available and then they'll see that I'm not eating that food, yeah. I'm having this food. And they go, oh, what are you doing this? Blah, blah. And then it goes into this whole spiral thing. And then I will start talking about whatever, like 
different podcasts or books I've read and they'll be like, hey, no, that's Tosh, whatever. And I'm like, so I don't want to get into any of that. Uh, luckily, none of that happened because it was a bit of a blur that day anyway. And I, I made sure I didn't spend too long with those people. But um, it, it did get me thinking about, you know, that that idea of, um, you know, stepping back and not having to win and not having to be the person yeah. that wins the argument. And just and that idea of the best of getting an argument, the, the way to get the best of an argument is not to have it, which is is hard for some people, especially like myself, who can sometimes want to. Well, you, you and I debate regularly, right? But I don't think we ever really border into argument. I think we have, we have a healthy debate. I think, um, you know, as you know, that book changed my life. I think it changed my mum's life. I mean, it was the first sort of book of that kind of teachings, principles, philosophies, whatever you want to look at it, that I've ever given to my mum to read, which wasn't, you know, usually we share fiction or whatever. And it changed her life. It changed the way that she viewed certain antagonizers in her life and 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 she was able to completely reframe which we know is a very powerful tool we both use regularly reframe the way that that she was with certain individuals or what things that they said and and i think it's made her life way you know way more positive as a result because she had some individuals that caused her challenges and now she can reframe and avoid the argument as you say to to get the, to get the best out of it i think um what what really struck home for me in that and actually was interesting because you just gave a scenario where people are asking you lots of questions, which could have left you led you down the rabbit hole to talk about the way you live your life for however amount of time. But Dale Carnegie is quite clear in his book, same one. I've only read the one book. Um, I've read two of his books, actually two of his books. But How to Win Friends and Influence People was the, the changing one. But he said in there, you can make more friends in two months by becoming interested in other people than you can in two years by trying to get other people interested in you. And I was like, whoa, okay. Now when you're at a party... And you see this all the time when you're watching dating shows or advice, the best way to really make a connection is to ask questions about other people and be interested in them rather than keep going, I did this, I did this, I did this. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it reminds me of like something I, I used to say to my nieces and things, which is don't go out looking to make friends, right? Go out looking to be a good friend. And then you're going to have those friends anyway. And I think that's, that's the thing. And I, I I do remember that because I often would be someone that I can catch myself talking, over talking. And when I became a bit more conscious, a bit more aware of things, I would then stop and do the ask the questions and ask the interesting questions about what they've said. Whereas what a lot of time people do, and we were talking about this before, about the, this need for connection, and this need for, for finding the commonalities. For example, one of the things that we often do, um, myself included, maybe less so now but let's say nick you've just said oh you know i've just been to i know vietnam right for example i, I actually you have been to vietnam haven't you because you went cycling there many years ago which is the thing. But, let's say, and actually maybe this happened actually when you uh, when you said this to me because at that time i was i was consciously thinking about my approach so when you said you know you met um helen and ed and everyone in vietnam I'm pretty sure I would have I would have now asked questions about that, like oh you know what was that cycling trip like or what was the company that started that. Whereas my initial thought, and I think think I even remember this, would be to say, oh I've been to Vietnam, I was there for three weeks, so I don't even know if you know I've been to Vietnam or not, but I, I've been to Vietnam in 2000. But we, if someone says oh I've been to this holiday, you say oh yeah I've been, and this is what I did, and immediately you're taking the energy and you're taking the conversation 
from that person. Now, you don't mean to do that. The only reason you're saying you've been to that country as well is because you want to create that connection, that similarity and blah, blah, blah. But really, you're taking their story away from them. And it's not malicious. It's not from a good place, but it's just lack of awareness. And when I realized that, I was like, oh, you know what? I do that all the time, all the time. Uh, not so much now. I, I think I still do it all the time. <laughs> People listening to this know me are probably laughing now. You know, it, it's something I have to be really consciously aware of. And as you say, it's about raising awareness. Um, I, will, I definitely, if I do do it, I, I catch myself every time and I'm always able to revert back to finish off, to make sure that I go back to the question that was asked. And I'm always frustrated. I don't, what I probably don't do, and I probably, oh, here's the word should, probably uh, must do is a better way of doing it, is um, identify it there and then and catch myself publicly rather than just in my head. But um, it's something I do do. And it, it's, as you say, it comes from a good place, it comes from a place of community, collaboration, just want a willingness to share experiences because I know experiences lead to other conversations. But actually, it's it's I mean it's an absolute um, coaching one hundred and one, right? You never ever listen with the intent to reply. That's the reality. It's just listen uh, to be interesting and to be in you know be interested. That that's the thing. And um, I think sometimes that's why we get it wrong because we can talk about ourselves. You're, you're showing your interest, but perhaps not in the most effective way. Um, but of course, you want you want a discord with someone, so it needs to be the place. Well, I mean, it's like a lot of, I'm, I'm listening to a podcast at the moment, which actually I, I might forward on to you. It's one of the, Steve, actually, I think you listen to him anyways, the Diary of the Sea. Sometimes. I'm not a huge fan, I'll be honest. If the guest is really powerful, I'll listen. But... Yeah, it depends on the guest. The one I'm listening to now is a Harvard professor of leadership, but really it's about happiness. And, and I don't think it's going to teach you massively anything new, but it might be a good one to listen to to then give to pass on to yeah, someone else sure. to listen to. Because it was talking about what we were talking about, right? Happiness being an inside job and, and actually how it's not the goal itself. It's that kind of pursuit of the goal that is, leads to more happiness. Because when you get the goal that, you know, whether you, you earn that first billion, suddenly you're like, oh, now I need to earn two billion, right? So he's talking about these sorts of things. So I thought it was quite um, a, a useful podcast to listen to. But I can't remember where I was well, going to go with that, actually. I'd but, um, we can use that in the context of our conversations. Because... Others may listen and think we argue. I would always say we never argue. I don't think we've ever argued. We just debate and have really good, interesting, from my perspective, conversations, right? And that's why we, we bought this podcast. Hopefully it's interesting people that listen. But um, there's the idea, that which is bringing it back to Dale Carnegie. He says success is getting what you want, right? That would be an argumentative play between you and us. Happiness is wanting what you get. Now, what I want from you is your response, is your challenge. And I think I invite it. And I think you do back because that's what we enjoy. It's not like we never, ever, I think, had a conversation where one is has to win over the other. We just enjoy having a conversation about seeing different perspectives. So I think that's probably the difference between arguing with a friend is really being determined and getting your way across over, over and above anything else. You need to win the argument in that context. But you can have a debate with a friend, which is just wanting what you get, having a conversation, trying to learn more, trying to discover different viewpoints, different perspectives, opening your awareness. I think that's very, very different because contentment in that context of happiness comes from appreciating what you have anyway, and then learning and opening the mind to appreciating what others have. And yet they, for the all intents and purposes, someone outside of that conversation could think it's one thing. But between you and I, and I, I'm speaking for you here, but that's my interpretation. I enjoy our conversations because I want you to challenge. That's what I'm asking for. That makes me happy to be challenged and to open mind, either to confirm my view 
or to challenge it. Either way, I'm, I'm happy with either result. Well, I think when I enter maybe a conversation with you in the past, I, I've had that awareness that, that if I do a good job with influencing you in my argument, then a, a crack will appear in, in your thinking and you'll, you'll, you'll embrace that. With other people, I know I don't even get into that conversation because their, their mind is, is like, a, they're not entering that conversation to enlighten themselves. They're entering it to just create a barrier and prove themselves, well, not even prove themselves right. It's more prove me wrong. And so I think it's a different debate when that, when that happens. Um, so it's knowing who you're jousting with, I guess, would be, would be one of those things. But actually, speaking of influence, we, we talked about it before, but um, I think one of the books I read many years ago, which I did like on influence, was called uh, Influence, um, Six Principles of Persuasion by, uh, or the Psychology of Persuasion by Robert uh, Caldini, PhD. And in it, he talks about um, the six principles for persuading people to get things done and what i like about this is not so much i i use it for influencing other people but i i notice it when i'm being influenced and i think it's really important because i think there's been a lot happening certainly in the last few years where we have been as a population influenced to do certain things um whether it's social distancing or you know line up for something or whatever and the six principles are uh, and i was thinking about this one earlier because you always get these um you know, the Hare Krishna monks and things like that. They're always trying to give you something in the street. So the first one he's got is um, reciprocity, where you like basically gift giving. We don't like to feel indebted to someone for something. So if someone gives you something, then you feel obliged to pay them back in some way. And so I always, and we know this inherently because a lot of the time we're, we're walking past these people and we're like, oh, no, I don't want it. I don't want it. Because, you know, as soon as you get it, you have to give them something back in return, which might be five minutes of your time or your email address or whatever. So that's one. The other one is consistency, which is interesting. Um, so when people like to be consistent with what they have said in the past. So this is, in the, I guess, in the sales world, it's always telling, you know, getting people to say yes often, right? Is your name Nick? Yes. Uh, do you live here? Yes. You know, and you've said about 50 yeses. And then by the time the question comes, you've been consistent with that. The other one which has played a lot of part the last few years is social proof where, you know, if we're uncertain how to behave or react, we look at others for their example. So then everyone is wearing a mask. We should be wearing a mask. Everyone is social distancing and so on. Uh, the, the other one is liking. So we're more likely to agree um, to someone's request when we know, like, and trust them, which is what I talk about when it comes to um, learning good communication skills, is that you're more likely to earn more money as a barber, if you've got good communication skills, because you build that know, that knowing, that liking, that trust with that person, they're more likely to buy, be upsold. Um, and the other one is authority, which again is a big one in the last few years, where if you've got someone in a white coat telling you something, okay, this is good for you, you should take this, you're more likely to, to be influenced by it than your, your, you know, Bob the Builder guy next door saying, you know, take this thing. And then the other one, the sixth one is scarcity. So we're more likely to perceive something as more valuable when it's less available. Um, they're the six principles, but it's an interesting book to read. Well, it was interesting you mentioned the word monk because I'm reading, it was recommended to me by um, a friend of mine called Sarah. Uh, I don't know if she listens to this or not, but if she does, thank you, Sarah, because I've read it because of you. Um, it's called I May Be Wrong uh, and Other Wisdoms from a Forest Monk. And um, you mentioned the word monk. I don't know. <laughs> It's um, it's yeah, it's basically from life as a forest monk. It's a Swedish guy who uh, basically moved away to 
become a forest monk. He just felt it was absolutely internal calling. Uh, it's, it is interesting. I'm going through the teachings now. It's about finding purpose, you know, living in that kind of regime where completely outside of his the context of his life and friends and the, the life he lived before just had this internal calling. And actually, maybe that's why should was so prominent in my mindset earlier, because when the, the guy goes through this journey, everyone around him is saying he should or should not be doing certain things, right? And it's it was never about anybody else. It was his own internal journey. And he followed it because that's what he believed was right for him. Um, and one of the things that... You have to. You have to. But most people, you say you have to, actually, Harry. And I, I say, of course you do, maybe too flippantly. A lot of people don't listen to themselves. They don't listen to that internal calling. We push it down and we we ignore it for because we think we shouldn't. I mean, we talked last time. I know you've got a point to raise, but we talked last time about purpose. And one of the questions I said in the six questions I'll ask my clients is, what would you do if you had all the approval in the world? Many people don't do those things because they, they seek the approval of their partner, their, their parents, that they'll be frowned upon if they suddenly quit their job, packed up and moved to Vietnam. Or actually, if you were to do that, you could probably have a way better um way of life in different elements we go back to what tim ferris says and we talked about this before if you want to live by the beach and sip cocktails all day you can do that tomorrow but you, you just can't do it in the uk or in america you've got to go and live in the philippines or somewhere where it's more affordable you can have any life you want you just have to be um flexible to go and achieve it so if you've got that calling listen to it i, I only jumped in there because you said we have to and i went of course we do and actually I would say probably, I don't know what the percentage of the population don't, but many, many people don't listen to that calling at all. Yeah, I guess when I say you have to, it is right. People don't listen to that. And I think when you were talking about that example, the guy going off to be a monk and people saying, well, you shouldn't do this or you shouldn't do that. What jumped into my head is, a, again, a quote that I've used in the past in this podcast, which is one that I think about, one I mentioned even to my mum the other day, which is that Bruce Lee quote that I love, yeah. where he says, you know, I, to the reporter, I haven't been put on this earth to live up to your expectations. You haven't been put on this earth to live up to mine. And I think about that quote often. I always, I like Bruce Lee's quote. So I think he was a philosopher first and martial artist second, because there were certain expectations that, that people put on me, even in the last few days um, about certain things. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm not here to live up to your expectations about who I should be in this kind of capacity. I've got to be me, right? I've got to be me. As Bob Fox said, if I've got to be me, I've got to be free or something like that, something along those lines. Um, and actually, one of the top tips we give our students when it comes to public speaking, the first one is be yourself. Yeah. Because it's, it's so easy to try and be someone else. Because again, part of it's about looking inward if you want to go really deep into this. It's about you know being able to sit with yourself, discover who you are. And in terms of public speaking, what we're talking about really is, you know, being your authentic self and speaking as you rather than as you think that the audience should hear you because you don't really know what they want anyway. And I, I say it's hard enough as a teenager trying to work out who you want to be in life. You don't need to complicate it by being someone else. And a lot of us are not our true selves, um, I don't think anyway. And I, I count myself in this. I think I'm definitely edging closer towards that with every, you know, journey that I'm taking along this path. I don't know what our true selves are. Maybe our true selves are, you know, spiritual. As Wayne Dyer says, we're not we're not human beings having a spiritual experience. We're spiritual beings having a human experience. Yeah, nice. And I think when when we really embrace that, 
I, I honestly feel that. And I think may, maybe that is part of why I'm able to cope with the death of my father in the way that I am currently is because I don't believe currently the three-dimensional reality is all that there is. And I do have this idea that we are spiritual beings having a temporary human experience. And so therefore the spirit of that person that I knew as my dad lives on elsewhere. Um, you know, and I think we've talked about ayahuasca before and I've said that you know, ayahuasca uh, DMT, dimethylotryptophan, in the brain is in its maximum amount at birth and death, which is why they call it the spirit molecule, because they believe that's when the spirit enters the body and then exits, why you have a lot of DMT. And then when you take ayahuasca or have DMT experiences, you have transcendental experiences and other realm experiences a lot of the time, because you have that influx of DMT in your system, you're able to traverse the reality that we see here today. I don't know how much of this is real or true, but... It was interesting. We spoke when you, you lost your dad at the start and you said, you know, when you went to see the body, the spirit had left it. And it was an interesting experience. And I said to you at the time that it's something that I don't plan to do if I have the opportunity because my mum gave a similar account that, you know, that's the memory that for her she was left with when she saw her parents, oh, my dad's parents when they passed. And it's like, but actually, I from the way you've described it, you've given me a positive, whatever, I don't know what decision I'll make when the day comes, because sometimes curiosity or, or I might be compelled or whatever it is to, to take that last look, knowing it's the last time I get a chance to do so. But actually, the way you put it there is, it's almost a, a nice thing. Although the spirits left the body, it makes you potentially be more aware that maybe there is a spirit that lives on because it's left the body. I don't know, there's something beautiful in what you in, in that um visualization i've created for myself now in, in in listening to to go you know what there's a bit of me that wants to see that spirit leave because i can say goodbye to the body knowing the spirit's still with me and I, maybe i need to see that to get that perspective on things i'll only know at the time um but it's i hadn't i'd only ever seen the negative in the situation because of the way it'd been framed and reframing it for myself based on the version you've given gives it a different feeling to if I do ever see any of one, anyone I love now, I have the opportunity to do it. Maybe it's a positive thing to say, okay, I'm seeing you now and, and I want to know, I want to be, I want that, that feeling to be confirmed in me that the spirit lives on because it's left your body. And then that, that, that's, that's cool. Right. That's, that's going to be by my side. I don't know. I'm not there yet, but I think it's. I guess this side of the time. I mean, like for me, like when my dad last week, my mom was like, she was going to go to the, the funeral directors and see the body in the suit and everything else. I keep saying the body rather than my dad, because like I said, that, that wasn't my dad. Um, um, that was the, the, the vessel he was using. Um, but I did, and she said, oh, do you want to come or, or anything or leave a note in the pocket or anything like that? Because my sister was going to leave a note in the pocket. And I thought, no, I, I, I said my goodbye in the room that time. And also I, I just remember, I mean, I, I remember I kissed his forehead and I, I knew it would be cold anyway. The body goes cold really quickly as soon as, you know the, the, the body dies really um but uh, for me when i went now i'm a little bit more kind of spiritually minded than i was when my grand died in 2010 but i remember going into that room not having a thought about it i i i, I was there at three in the morning because i was taking my mum there and we'd had the call and and so i went rushed there but as soon as i walked in i felt the spirit was not within like that it was just so obvious to me it was so obvious that that was not my grand it was like, it was just a, like, like a show. It's like, it's like you seeing your dad or your mum driving the car 
and then they get out of the car and you look at the car and you're still thinking that that, that car is your mum. It's not. It was always your mum in the car driving and then the mum, your mum is somewhere else now. And it was just as obvious as that to me. Um, but that was just to me. I don't know other people what, what they will interpret by that. But it gives me comfort, I guess. And maybe you could argue, oh, well, it is what it is. Like you're just imagining whatever you're imagining. But yeah, but remember, I don't know if you remember, but the word um, spirit, uh, I believe, if I'm correct, is Latin for breath. Okay. So it's literally breath. <laughs> So when the spirit leaves the body, it's the breath is leaving the body, right? The breath is the spirit. This is why I talk about that we're all one as well, because we all share the same breath. This is one of the lessons that I hoped was going to become obvious during COVID, but I don't think it was in the end, is that we were all connected because we were all sharing our common breath, our common spirit. We're all coming from the same thing. And if you've read, have you read Conversations with God, by the way? Not Conversations with God, no, no. Bear in mind, your, your book list is, uh, oh, is extensive, to say the least. It's about 300 ahead of me. But yeah. enough. Well, I don't read as much anymore. I, I just read a book a week for about two or three years. So that Trust me, if you're that. listening to this, conversation Harry once God. sent me his book list. He's, he's categorized it, and there must have been a best part of a thousand oh, yeah. titles. So it uh, certainly felt that way. Yeah, there's a few. I, I, I try not to send it to too many people because they, they get overwhelmed with that. But Conversations with God, it talks about um, so uh, Neil Donald Walsh, I think, is the author, and he talks about his experience with interacting with the, the, the sensation that he calls God. But not God as in like this guy up in the sky, beard, whatever. But um, I like to call God G-O-D, the grand overall design. But whatever you want to describe it, the universe God. But he was talking about remembering and the idea of remember who you are and remember as in put back together. And I think the way I try to describe it to people is that we are all leaves on a tree thinking we're just leaves without realizing if we go back far enough the you know the the, the branches come together it's all part of the roots and, and everything else and i think when we realize that actually we are all connected we are all one through that breath literally through that breath right every breath that we take we're breathing in molecules and particles of marilyn monroe and alexander the great and all these people as well you just go to and i thought that was going to become every breath thing. you take i just <laughs> for me it immediately took me to sting oh, the song yeah <laughs> you're quoting every other musician except him. people don't get how connected we are and i thought we got that during covid because that was literally the way that it was being transmitted it was like through our common breath but our breath is the spirit because literally the word breath and spirit mean the same thing so i I try to explain it that way. And so when the breath leaves the body, the spirit has left. Nice thing about the leaf example that you've given there is when the leaf falls off the tree, right? It goes, falls back down to the earth. It gets, you know, eventually, eventually it fertilizes the earth to spout mm. new trees, right? It's, 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 it's cyclical. Like anything, yeah. if you, you know, whether you think about Buddhist teachings or whatever, the idea that everything then supports the next, you know, it, we, we cycle the way of life by the by fertilizing the next thing that goes around, right? I, I quite like that as a, as a visual. Circle of life and how everything is a circle, like whether it's spring, summer, autumn, winter, and how when you're in that winter, if you know that it's a cycle, you can cope with that winter period of your life or the economy better because you know spring is coming. And it's like everything in the universe, right? Now we've heard of the Big Bang, there may well be a big crunch. That's in, indeed if we think what's happening so we might be one of multitude of cycles of our universe so i do think the idea of a cycle of life is comforting right whether that includes reincarnation i think that might be a, a, another conversation for another time um 
but I think for me, it gives comfort knowing that things work in cycles. Like even you have to look at birth and death, right? When you're born, you're a baby, you're pooping in your pants and needing people to look after you. And then as you get an adult, you go back to that as well. So it's a big cycle. Yeah. It's just a big cycle. Fair, fair. Well, my, my dad thought uh, Benjamin Button was a true story when he was watching that. He was halfway through the movie and he went, is this a true story? And I was about to say, when you were talking about your circle of life idea and you've got some, let's be fair, you've got, you, you're very open-minded, shall we say, about anything, whether there's aliens and you know, UFO sightings, everything else. But um, it was, you know, I think it's Dale Carnegie, if you bring it back full circle, talking about the circle of life, the circle of this episode, he says that any fool can criticize, condemn and complain, and most fools do. Um, And it's very easy. And then when someone says you should do something, you should not do this, or why have you done this? And, you know, why is an inherently an antagonistic question in itself? But it's so easy for someone to question when really it's, I'll go back to, it's an external reflection of how they feel inside, right? When often they get these aggressive questions that come in, Usually it sits because there's something inside them that hasn't been fully answered and they're trying to understand it, but it comes out often aggressive. Um, and to be closed off, we you know, I, I read a quote last time, uh, last episode from Letting Go about the, the the higher level of scoring between an atheist and a non-atheist. An atheist just, just categorically saying something doesn't exist immediately lowers the ability to be open-minded about other things. Um, and I'm not, I'm not here to criticize atheists necessarily, but I, I just believe it's, it's you can show more empathy and understanding to someone, whether you are or you're not, by just being open-minded. And I think, you know, I do another show, another podcast called the HR L&D podcast. And the question I ask at the end of every show is, you know, what are the behaviors that you see in every great leader you've ever worked with? And by far the most popular answer is empathy. Um, and with empathy, it requires understanding and listening and not not judging necessarily. And I, I think sometimes when you use words like why should or should not, or you're talking about you know spirits and reincarnation, circle of life, whatever it is, I just think it's it limits our ability to show empathy and compassion and to be, I don't know, just to be aware and being open-minded. I just think it's a really positive trait to have in someone. It reminds me of something I say to people. And I, again, I, I usually have to explain it because I think it gets lost on people, but people often talk about, you know, I'll walk in a mile in someone else's shoes. But then I say, in order to walk a mile in someone else's shoes, you have to take yours off first. That means, you know, you have to remove those beliefs, those preconceived ideas, those judgments in order to really embrace that other person's way of being and, and, and belief. And it's really hard to do because we have our, our preconceived ideas, our biases and so on. Um, I think obviously, like we talk about awareness being the first stage. So when you're aware that we have biases, I have certain biases. I do try to eliminate those to some degree. I was saying to my mum, because often people associate the way I eat, for example. I know we haven't done a, a podcast yet about food, but the way I eat being very different from maybe the average person on the street. But most of the podcasts I listen to, most of the books I listen to are health advocates who are following a very different path to what I am. Because I don't want to just listen to the people that reinforce my ideas. Um, I feel like when you get a balance, when you get as much of a view as possible, and when you're quite in tune with yourself, you can discern what what is right for you at a certain particular point in time and that may well change over time anyway rather than relying on experts like we were talking about influence and robert caldini right 
you know, being influenced by experts because I, and this is why I say it's actually a good book, not necessarily because I'm able to influence others, but because I'm noticing when others are trying to influence me. So if I see that, you know, that doctor on TV saying, well, you know what, everyone else is taking this thing and you should take it. And if you don't, you're an absolute travesty to humanity. I'm thinking that's actually not influencing me too much in, in a way, right? I know that they're using this idea of authority. I know that they're using this idea of um, social um, status or whatever the term was that he, he used, social proof. Um, so I know that you're, you're using this. That's not going to influence me. What's going to influence me is me looking at the facts that I've got in front of me and discerning what I believe to be the right course of action for me personally. Um, that's what's going to influence me. Um, 100%. I mean, without, without uh, well, two things I'll pick up on there before we close the show. One is we both subscribe to what the doctors don't tell you, right? And I, I came across that publication after your house and reading it, and I find it fascinating. And I think that's interesting because it does go against status quo, does go against the, the white coat way of influencing in certain areas and just allows you to be more open-minded to, I don't know, Eastern medicines rather than always Western medicines and just other ways of doing things and looking at plants instead of, you know, um, pharmaceuticals or, or whatever. So that's something that as a little plug for them, I don't even know, I don't know them, but I, I found the publication coming to your house and I, I find it just interesting, just raises my awareness. It just keeps me open-minded to other solutions. You don't have to believe everything in there. Like, I, I sometimes find that they're a bit inconsistent. And, 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 and that's the point is just because you read a book or just because you know a person, it doesn't mean you agree with everything that person has ever said in their life, right? It's like you can take that information and it yourself. It leads me to what I was going to say, because you mentioned food, right? And, um, you know, to, to, to bring it full circle with Dale Carnegie, he's got a brilliant uh, quote, which says, if you want to gather honey, don't kick over the beehive. So if I want to get to grips with the best parts of the way that you live your life, right? I don't want to come in against, you know, up to you and say, why do you do this, Harry? Why don't you do that? You should be doing this. You know, I want to, I just want to know what's really worked for you. If you could narrow it down, what are the five top things that you found have really had a difference in your life? How do I go about making that smoothie? What can I do in my life that is cost effective that might just give me more vitality? I maybe sleep better. I want to learn from you. That doesn't mean I have to adopt everything that you've done. But if I tackle it by kicking over the beehive and just demanding certain things, it's going to antagonize you. You're going to close up immediately and not want to give me anything. And I don't, you know, maybe that's that success piece. I might come away from that thinking I've been successful because I got Harry to close up. But there's no happiness in that. There's no there's no awareness. There's no win for anybody, really. And again, bring, leaning on the Dale Carnegie sort of school of influence and thinking. But I want to understand and then make my own choices as to which parts of the bits that, of your puzzle that I want to impart on my life and go, you know what? That could really work in my life. A weighted blanket being a great example that, you know, you, you mentioned it. I didn't have one. Wasn't sure if it would work. My wife listened to it, bought it. It's one of the best things that I've ever had that's helped with my sleep. I remain very open-minded to any of these things. Um, and it's up to us to make those choices rather than to kick you for the well, top you don't 10. Have to, exactly. Right, you don't have to kick the whole beehive over, as you said. And again, again, we're going full circle again because I'm going to go back to a Bruce Lee quote, one of the ones I use in the book, which is, you know, absorb what is useful, discard what is not, and add what is uniquely yours. Just because I like Tony Robbins in some things he says, it doesn't mean that I think he's the bee's knees in everything. And, and you do and everything. People go, oh, you look at that person, or you read this person, and you must be this. And it's like... Are you that stupid that you think that 
everyone believes everything that anyone has ever said. Like, no, like I've got friends that I don't agree with on something. If we all agreed on everything, we'd all live in the same house, have the same job, have the same haircut, do the same thing. We have to have these differences and we don't need to take everything on board from even our most trusted people. We just take what's useful, right? You've taken the weighted blanket, you've taken the, the subscription to the magazine, great, right? And I've taken things from you and I've taken things from other people and you don't have to agree with 100%, right? You just want to take what's useful and adapt it. To, to help us to grow, you. right? And I, you know, I could tell you I am, I can tell you I'm not, but neither can be true. It depends on how you want to take that information, right? You use it in any way you want to use it and that's absolutely fine. Hopefully that's what this podcast does, gets people thinking and maybe they go, yeah. you know what? I, I yeah. love that quote Harry's just said, I'm going to use that in my life or, you know, what? I, I, I didn't um, cry straight away either and I felt guilty for it. And this is a, you know, a vitality expert feeling the same way. It's okay. We just want to share how we feel, work our way through our own problems day to day and, and, and try and lean on the teachings and the, and, and the things that we've discovered on our own journeys that have helped us. Now, Harry's way further down the path than, than potentially I am in, in some aspects of, of the health vitality stage. But, um, you know, it's, we don't compete. There's, I know there's things in my life that I can support you with and I know there's things in your life that hopefully you, know, you can support me. And I, I think that's where our friendship blossoms really. Um, and hopefully it's helping the listeners to find their own path as well. Uh, probably a good way to to close today's show. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's been it's been good. Uh, we've had a couple of teething problems with the new software, but hopefully that may have not been nothing to do with the software. Maybe my internet connection dropped, or or someone's dropped somewhere along the line. Who knows? Um, but yeah, it's been really nice chatting as ever. I really enjoy these chats, and uh, I approach these often as as that conversation that I'm having with with you, and just hoping that people listening in are are feeling part of that conversation and able to just pick from those conversations we have the bits that are useful for them and help them in some way. Um, so thank you for listening, everybody that does listen. Good to chat to you as always, Harry. And uh, yeah, we'll bring you the next episode. Cheers, Harry. All right, take care, buddy. Thanks for tuning in to the Mindful Past podcast with Midday and Harry Kalimnios. We hope you found our discussions insightful and hopefully you've gained some valuable takeaways to support you on your own journey. Please leave us a review on your preferred podcast platform and share an episode that resonates with you with a friend or family member who may also find it valuable. Please also don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to ensure you never miss a future episode. And In the meantime, we'll continue exploring mindful path topics to provide you with more insights and more ideas to support you on your personal growth journey. Thank you for your support and look out for the next episode of the Mindful Paths podcast dropping soon.